as you're making your way to, to Romans uh, 12, actually, uh, by way of introduction, we're in a cool season right now in our church. We just got, uh, you know, people are having babies left and right, and, uh, and it's neat. Brenda and I went to the hospital um, to visit. Uh, we, Rob and Leanne just had their baby. And, uh, and so we went, we went to the hospital to go, to go you know, pray over uh, their baby. And as, as we're going in, you know, they have their daughter, Alyssa. And we're, we're walking to the hospital, and Brenda and I are just talking about just the cool season that we have right now, what God is doing. And, and uh, it's just such a blessing to go to the hospital and, and pray over all these kids. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I watch on Facebook. I see members of our church, you know, talking back and forth. And I see all these moms just, you know, they're talking about getting thrown up on and pooped on. And, and uh, <laughs> Caitlin, my daughter, who's pregnant in her third trimester, she's due in December. And she had found a, a, a massage coupon that she'd lost. And she posted on there that uh, she was going to go have a pamper day. And her friend Miranda, you guys many know Miranda. We've been praying for her. She just had her baby Wyatt a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and uh, Miranda posts back and she's like, Get it while you can. It's 3 p.m. I still haven't had breakfast, and I'm in my pajamas, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And, um, and again, just, the, just seeing the, the love of the Lord manifested through the moms, it's, it, it's a cool thing to watch. And, you know, the Bible teaches that the ability to love in that way, it, it only comes from the Lord himself. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who loves us. Um, and in uh, 1 John 4, 19, the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. Um, and what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Romans. We've seen that Paul has spent the last 11 chapters uh, exhorting how God has loved us in Christ. Um, and uh, basically, it's probably a summary of those 11 chapters can be found in Romans 5, 8 where Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's my favorite scripture in the entire Bible. God's love demonstrated for us that we were in open rebellion against God and he loved us so much he would send his son to die for us. So Paul's laid this out. He's like, listen, you know, God has loved you so incredibly through Christ. And he's done all of these rich, amazing things. And, and indeed, even our own capacity to love even our children, that it only comes because God loves us and has given himself to us and he's graciously poured out upon us. And so having laid that as the foundation, Paul now gets to chapter 12. And basically, the, the idea shifts from here's how God has loved us and now we look at how we can love him back. Uh, and, and it doesn't start there. It starts with God loving us, giving himself for us, pouring himself uh, out for us. But now, having received Christ and coming into a saving faith with him, now we can respond to him and we can love him back. And as we've been seeing over the last several weeks as we've been breaking down chapter 12, loving God back uh, involves many things. It starts when we just present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. That word present meaning to set near. You take your life and you just set it near God. You say, you're Lord, and because you're Lord, I'm going to set my life at your feet, and I'm going to give you lordship power in my life. And we looked at that. And we looked at in doing that, how that the Holy Spirit comes to take residence in us as we confess that we're sinners, that we've missed the mark, that we fall short of the glory of God, that, that the wages of sin is death, and that there's nothing we can do to have a right standing with God in and of ourselves, except for just to confess the fact that we're sinners and that we need a Savior in doing that. Now God imparts to us 
the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us and he makes us a new creation. The Bible says old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so God imparting his Holy Spirit to us, us drawing near to him, just presenting our life to him. And now that Holy Spirit, we've presented our our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which the Bible says is our reasonable act of service. And then Paul exhorts, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And the Holy Spirit living within us, he just brings about this transformation. And Paul goes on and says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we've received the Holy Spirit, we study God's word, and that renewal process happens day by day. And so what happens is we live in a sinful world that's trying to press us into its mold, uh, trying to conform us into its image, but God promises to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And so we've been looking at that. We love God back by, by allowing him to transform us in that way. And then what we looked at last week was that when God pulls a rabbit out of the hat, so to speak, with your life and with my life, uh, and he transforms us and he makes us into these new creatures and this new creation and, and our life begins to change, the temptation for a lot of Christians is to start getting puffed up and to think more highly about themselves than they ought to think. And so last week's exhortation from Paul in the same chapter was, look, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Remember always what it is that Christ has done for you and, and operate from that place, that place of gratitude and thanksgiving with humility that you can work out your salvation. And these are the practical steps that every Christian must take to put feet on their faith and to be doers of the word and not hearers only, as we've prayed today. And so continuing with that idea, now in verse 9, Paul says this. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, basically Paul says, look, you've loved God by presenting your body as a living sacrifice, by having him transform your life, by resisting the temptation to get all puffed up in yourself. And now Paul basically says, for the love of God, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't respond in your love for God by becoming hypocritical. Now, at this point, it would do us well to, to identify what a hypocrite is and what a hypocrite isn't, okay? So first of all, let me tell you what a hypocrite isn't. It's not being hypocritical for a Christian who's honestly and sincerely trying to work out their salvation to sin on occasion. That's not being hypocritical. Many of you know you've got unsaved family or friends. They resent the fact that, that you're a Christian. They think you're the God squad in their life. And just the mere presence of your redeemed life in their presence makes them uncomfortable. And so they watch you like a hawk. And they just look for you to mess up and sin. And the moment you do, they're the first ones to say, Aha! You hypocrite! Look at what you've done. Right? We've we've all experienced those people in our life. Uh, And and so what what I like to do when when that happens to me, because it... Because we're all sinners, you're all going to have, you know, your time in the barrel when, when you, you sin against God, you're driving down the freeway and some guy cuts you off and something comes out of your mouth that shouldn't be coming out of your mouth and your unsaved friend driving with you is like, hypocrite, you know, and, and so what you want to be able to do at that point is you want to just say, hey, listen, I'm saved, okay, I'm saved from sin, which means I'm saved from myself. And and if you, from time to time, see sin in me, that just proves that I need a Savior. I'm not confessing that I'm perfect as a Christian. I'm just confessing that I'm forgiven. 
now, now that confession isn't a license for me to sin and live any way I want to, but it is that, that hope that I have for those times when you see me be a sinner and you see me do something. It, it's not hypocrisy. That's just me being a sinner trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for my salvation, just trying to work it out. I'm just trying to live up to, to, to what God's called me to live up to. And from time to time, you're going to see my humanity come out. That's not hypocrisy. What hypocrisy is, is when we pretend to be something that we're not. And there's an ocean of difference between the two. See, the, the hypocrite in Greek theater, where this word originates, uh, was the actor. That's what a hypocrite was. The hypocrite was the guy in Greek theater who wore a big mask, and because of the way you know the theater worked, uh, you know they didn't have cameras that they could do a close up. They didn't have mics that they could mic the person. And so you're there watching this thing, and you're sitting way up in the cheap seats. You got to know who's the villain, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. And so what would happen is the actors would wear these big exaggerated masks, big smiley face, big frowny face, you know, and, and which is why, by the way, if you see the Screen Actors Guild, their their emblem today is a couple of masks. And that's what the hypocrite was. The hypocrite was the guy that wore the mask pretending to be something that he wasn't. And so, you know, we see examples throughout the church, don't we, today, of people that wear masks and pretend to be something that they're not, right? And we, unfortunately, <laughs> we have more examples than we could ever cite. Recently, there was a guy, Pastor Michael Gugliamucci. That's a mouthful. And Michael Gugliamucci, he was a pastor with a ministry called Planet Shakers. Is out of Australia. And he wrote a song called Healer. And it was a really super popular song. Um, it was recorded by Hillsong. It was on one of their albums. It went gold. It was a huge thing. Um, and it was based on his illness with cancer. This is, this is why, you know, he wrote the song. And Michael would go out and he would perform this song, uh, being bald with the oxygen cannula in his nose up on stage. And, you know, God's my healer. And even though I've got this illness and he'd be out there performing. And, and like I said, it was, it was a, a hit. Just one problem. He was performing. It wasn't true. He didn't have cancer. And so here he's all up portraying himself in this way. Moreover, not only didn't the guy have cancer, comes to find out that he's been addicted to pornography since he was 13 years old. So here you got this guy who's, who's presenting himself, passing him off in this way, and yet it's all fake. He's a hypocrite. And now, I mean, you know, it, it just he, he's part of a denomination and the denomination just sharing the story that since this has come to light, they've getting calls from every single continent of people that have been that have been wounded by this. There's people left the church over this There's people left the faith over this. And, and of course, you guys know, I mean, there's there's evidences of, of hypocrisy in the church that are widespread. I mean, you know, Ted Haggard, Jim Baker, uh, Jimmy Swagger. Uh, the Catholic Church, the stuff that's going on there. And, and most recently, the allegations against Bishop Eddie Long. And, you know, we don't know whether they're true or not, but there's, there's several allegations. And now it just, and if it is true, it's just part of a, a big old long line of hypocrites in the church. And, and they're all tragic examples of hypocrisy. And, and sadly, you know, hypocrisy is nothing new to the church. I mean, 
Consider what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day. Matthew 23, verse 27, he said to them this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. I grew up in Torrance, uh, and... uh, you know, my uh, my dad took us down. It was like 1969. We went down to see the Queen Mary. They had the city of Long Beach bought the Queen Mary, uh, and they were going to convert it into a hotel and and uh, and you know museum. And so they they brought it into the port there, and they and they're doing the rehab work. My dad drove us down one night to go see the ship, and we're looking at it. And and about that time. Um, they had decided in rehabbing the ship that they had to take a bunch of the guts of the ship out, the engine room, boiler room, a bunch of things that make room for the hotel. And so the only way they could do it was to take the smokestacks off and then take the, the things through the, 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 where the smokestack was. So they proceeded to do this. What they found out in the process was when they took the smokestacks off, smokestacks were made of quarter-inch steel plates, And when they got them on the dock, what they realized was that all the steel over the years had rusted away. And all they were now were paint. The smokestacks were just layer upon layer upon layer of paint. And and, and here's, here's the idea, if you haven't figured out yet where I'm going. I'm asking the question that as we start studying, you know, a delicate topic here, hypocrisy in the church. Jesus looking at the religious leader saying, you guys are just, a, you're just painted walls. You're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. And I asked the question, if, if the Lord was really to take a hard look at your life and my life, is he going to find any substance to it or are we, just, is he, are we just a bunch of paint? See, here's the thing. For God, hypocrisy, it's a huge issue. It's such a big issue. If you guys will remember back in, in the book of Acts, when God was first founding the church, when he's first establishing the church, They told his disciples, listen, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. They wait. The Holy Spirit is poured out. The church is birthed on the day of Pentecost. And and amazing things are happening as these people are surrendered to God and the Holy Spirit showing up in in an incredible way through them. People are getting saved by the thousands. They're coming to the Lord, and the Lord is adding daily to the church such as should be saved. This great outpouring. Then all of a sudden, we read in Acts chapter 4, There's a guy by the name of Barnabas. He's part of the church, son of encouragement. And Barnabas had been blessed by God financially. And and the text tells us that he sold a piece of land and he took the proceeds and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And and he didn't do so in a boastful way or anything like that, but but no doubt it had an impact on the people seeing this act of, of loving sacrifice. And and people just the no no doubt revering him and respecting him for what he's done. And so we get to Acts chapter 5, and there's a guy by the name of Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira. And, and Ananias, the name means God is, is gracious. And certainly God had been gracious to Ananias in his life. He had given him possessions and, and property, and he's married to this, this wife, Sapphira. The name Sapphira means beautiful. Uh, and, and so, you know, Ananias has got it all going on. He's got, he's got power, he's got possessions, he's got property, he's got the trophy wife who's beautiful, everything's good in his life. And then what happens is they also sell a property, they sell a possession. And they take the money from that, that sale and they keep back part of it for themselves 
and they take the rest of it and they tell everybody that it's all that they were given, that they all they received. And they gave that and they said, oh, here, we're giving it all to you. Now, Peter, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, had discernment to know that they were pulling a fast one, that they hadn't done that. And so he, he calls uh, Ananias on it. He calls Ananias before him. Ananias comes to see him alone. He's like, hey, how much did you sell the land for? And he says, for this amount. And the amount he tells him is the amount that he and his wife had given to the church. And Peter called him on it. He's like, Dad, why have you lied? And, and basically, paraphrase, he says this. He goes, look, the money was yours. You owned the possession. You sold it. You, you know, you didn't have to give it to the church. You chose to give it to the church. You could have given any amount you wanted to give to the church. You decided that you were going to give a certain amount, but where you went wrong was you lied. You're a hypocrite, and you told everybody, oh, I gave it all, and you didn't. That was a lie. And so the Lord struck Ananias dead on the spot. And this New Testament grace stuff we're talking about, New Testament, not Old Testament stuff. You might expect a story like that in the Old Testament. No, this is New Testament. God strikes him dead on the spot. The guys take him out, they wrap him up, they bury him. And, and meanwhile, a few hours later, his wife comes in, and uh, Sapphira comes in. Peter says, hey, so Sapphira, how much did you sell that property for? She says, well, for this amount. She tells him the same amount that she and her husband had conspired to sell. And, and, he sa- and Peter says, listen, at the door, you're going to hear the feet of the guys that went to go bury your husband, and God's going to kill you too. And she falls down dead right there on the spot as well. And as you read the story, you, feel, you, you read right immediately after that, it said, then great fear came upon the church. You think? <laughs> what if God showed up today and started killing hypocrites? Don't you think the church would have great fear? Well, why did he do it then? Well, because he wanted to send the message, listen, hypocrisy is a very, very bad thing. I don't want it to be named among the church. I don't want it being a part of my church. I don't want there to be hypocrisy. And Paul says here in verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. As you're living out your faith in Christ, as you're loving God back, don't be a hypocrite. Let it be without hypocrisy. He says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. If you're a note taker, you want to take note of that word abhor. Here's what it means. It means literally to hate, to dislike, to have a horror of, to shudder. In other words, you hate it so bad, you are so afraid of it that it makes you shake. That's what this word abhor means. And and, and Paul says, look, you need to abhor that which is evil. This, by the way, is the same root word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 18 when he told the parable, or when he was talking, basically used hyperbole, but he said, "If if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, Jesus wasn't literally saying to do that. He wasn't literally telling you to cut your hand off if, if, if you're sinning with it. No, what, what he's using is hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to prove a point. It's an extreme exaggeration to prove an extreme point that, listen, you have to make sure that you abhor sin, that you cut it out of your life. That's what Jesus is, is saying there. And, and, and Paul says, you abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Not only do you cut that thing off that is evil, but you've got to cling to the thing that is good. And, and therein comes the, the, the big clue for us about hypocrisy. Because here's where hypocrisy comes from. Hypocrisy starts to happen in our hearts when we don't 
hate what God hates. When we don't cut off the thing that God tells us to cut off. And see, we know we should, but we don't. So what do we do? Well, we hide it. We say, oh, I'm not going to cut that thing off. I'm going to kind of secretly treasure that thing, but I'm going to hide it. And that's wearing a mask. That's, that's pretending to be someone that you're not. That's hypocrisy. And God hates it. So how do we cut that thing off? I'm glad you asked. The rest of the text is a whole idea of what, what is it that, you know, how does, how does uh, hypocrisy manifest itself in our life and how do we cut it off? And really, there's two primary ways that hypocrisy manifests itself in our life. Hypocrisy manifests itself through our actions and hypocrisy manifests itself through our reactions. We're not going to have time to talk about our reactions uh, th- today. We're going to get into that next week if, <laughs> if you've got the guts to come back. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how hypocrisy manifests itself through our actions uh, and, uh, and how, we can, uh, how we can conquer that, how we can get a handle on that. So verse 10, Paul continues. He says, hey, le- okay, don't be a hypocrite. Now, first, first area to start, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Uh, that word, that phrase, kindly affectionate, literally what it means is love like family. That's what that, that phrase, be kindly affectionate, means. It means to love like family. And I absolutely love the fact that here at Reliance Church, this is exactly the dynamic that we see that our members are loving like family. And I, I see people interacting. I, I see people's posts on Facebook, and people are getting together, and they're doing life together, going to dinner together. They're living their lives together, working. And, and, and it's just not, you know, a, a Sunday come to church kind of experience, but I see people actually living their lives together. It makes my heart sing. We get together for prayer on Sunday mornings, the, and the leadership all gets together at, from 6.30 to 7. It's the first thing we do. Uh, it's actually not limited to leadership. Anybody's welcome to come pray. We start every, every church, uh, Sunday uh, church services start with a half hour prayer. And we're praying this morning, and Tom, our head deacon, he, he just prays this prayer about thanking God for the family that we have at Reliance Church, not knowing what I was going to be teaching on, not knowing any of this. And like I said, as a pastor, my heart's just singing. I'm like, yes, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that do life together. The church just isn't a place where we go. It's a people that we know. That's what church is supposed to be, you know? And so I'm just, I'm, I'm loving this. Jesus said to his disciples, John 13, 35, By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So, you okay, that, that's fine. What's this got to do with hypocrisy? Well, you guys familiar with the statement, church would be a great place except for all the people? Church would be a great place if it wasn't for all the people. See, and, and the, the thing is, is that it, it, it's true. We have the neatest relationships at church, but don't you know we get on each other's nerves too? I mean, there's, there's those experiences at church where, you, you know, I don't want to go to first service because so-and-so is going to be there and I'm mad at them. We'll go to third service, you know? And, and people are people and we have a tendency just to, 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 to fight and to bicker and to have division. And God says, look, as Christians, you can't be that way. You can't come to church saying, oh, Lord, thank you. You're so good and so gracious, and you've been so forgiving to me and so wonderful to me. And then in the same breath say, but I'm not going to go to the service that she's at because I'm mad at her. It just it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. And, and, and you know, this is what Paul is trying to say here. He'll say, listen, 
be kindly affectionate to one another, love one another like family. And then he adds to it with brotherly love. That, that word brotherly there, it's Philadelphos. We get the name Philadelphia from that, the city of brotherly love. Paul's just making the point, look, love like family, love like brothers. And then he says this, he says, in honor, giving preference to one another. You see that phrase there? Really interesting. When you study that in the original meaning, here's what it means. It means to literally honor based on rank. That's what that phrase means. So not only are you supposed to love like family, not only are you supposed to love like brothers, but you and I are supposed to honor one another based on rank. Uh, I'll explain it this way. Um, A lot of you guys are are Marines, and so you know about submitting to rank and authority. I myself, uh, you know, coming from a fire department background, paramilitary organization, same thing. You know, I'm, I'm a paramedic firefighter, and my captain outranks me. My, my, uh, Chiefs outrank me. And don't you know, over the course of my career, there were guys that I didn't respect. There were guys, you know, I I did a funeral a a couple of months ago. I co-led a funeral with another pastor friend of mine. He started the funeral off, and it was a mutual friend that we were doing the the funeral for, a great man. And he, he started the funeral service off this way. He said, we're here today to pay honor to an honorable man. And the man was an honorable man. And I thought, that's the coolest thing. And I wish that somebody would say that at my funeral. That would be so great if somebody would say, we're here to pay honor to an honorable man. So in this idea of of honoring someone based on rank, sometimes people outrank you and and they aren't honorable. You know, there's sometimes, there's some people that I don't, I don't, really like you. I don't respect you. uh, You don't have any character or integrity. But I'll tell you what you do have. You have a couple of bugles on your collar, and I can honor and I can respect that. And that's what Paul is saying here. And it's not that your brothers and sisters in Christ outrank you. That's not the idea when he says that you honor them based on the rank. What it is is you need to understand how they rank so that you can honor them. You go, explain that. Here's how they rank. The person sitting next to you is is a person who's precious in the image of God. God loved them so much that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so because God loves that person that you're so upset with so much, you need to honor their rank with the Lord. You honor the fact that they are precious in the sight of God. And see, if we don't do that, then the problem is we are hypocrites. God, thank you for everything you've done in my life, but I'm mad at Joe, and he's a jerk, and I'm going to hold a grudge against him. It's inconsistent with Scripture. Do you guys remember in Matthew chapter 22, uh, somebody came to Jesus, and they asked him a question. They said, uh, hey, teacher, what's, what's the most uh, important law? What's, what, what's, the, what's the most important of all, of all the commandments? Do you guys remember that? Do you remember his answer? He said, you love the Lord your God your heart with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And he said, and the second is like it. He gave him a freebie. He said, the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on to say that on these two laws hinge all the, the prophets, all the law and the prophets. In other words, this whole 66 books that you hold in your lap, this all comes down to two things, loving God, loving others. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20, 20 and 21 
uh, the Apostle John tells us this. He says, if someone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, he who does not love his brother who he's seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? Uh, and this commandment we have from God, from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so out the gate, the Apostle Paul says, listen, if you, be, if you don't want to be a hypocrite, start with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Their family, you got to love them like a brother, and you got to honor their position. you got to honor their rank. They're, they're created in the image of God, and they're precious to him, and you need to, to honor one another. Well, he goes on in verse 12, and he says, or I'm sorry, verse 11, and he says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, when he says not lagging, uh, not lagging in diligence here, what he's saying is don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Turn um, to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. There's a few books to the right. Colossians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I'll just sort of set it up this way. We've got a lot of um, Christian businessmen that, that are part of the church here, guys that own their own businesses. And um, I hear from guys on a regular basis that they hate hiring Christians. You experienced that? Maybe you're a business owner and you know what I'm talking about. Why? Why do they hate hiring Christians? Because they're bad employees. Listen, Christians ought to be the best employees on the job, and more and more I'm hearing the testimony that they're bad employees. They come late, they, they, they want to leave early, they're, hey, bro, bro me out kind of thing. One of the guys says, he's like, it's the worst thing to hire a Christian because you can't fire them. All you can do is, is, you know, trade them to another church, you know, when the relationship falls apart and they end up going to another church, you know, and, and, and I've experienced it. This is true. I used to have people call me all the time and they'd say, uh, and I still do from time to time, but people call them and say, Hey, I'm looking for an employee. Can you recommend somebody? Yeah, I'll recommend somebody. And I'd make a recommendation. And, and then, you know, this one guy in particular, he stopped calling me. So I called him one day. I'm like, dude, you haven't called me for a while. He goes, you know what, Pastor Ted, to be honest with you, the last couple of guys that you sent to me weren't very good. They're pretty bad employees. And I felt horrible. I'm like, man, I wish you would have told me because, you know, I could have held those guys accountable and, and, and all. But, but I, I'm hearing this more and more. Um, we, we had a, building a church, Calvary Chapel Menifee. We were building a 35,000 square foot church and, and I'm in charge of the building project, you know, and, and so it's, the, it's my first rodeo. And so I'm just trying to figure it out. And I've got, you let the body know, and, and I mean, let's, we live in an area where everybody's in the construction trades, it seems. And so I let the body know, hey, we're building this church and, and we're going to be, it's going to be going out to bid kind of thing. And so I got people coming out of the woodworks. Oh, hey, yo, Pastor Ted, I'm a I, I member of the church here, totally bro you out man i'll do i'll do the drywall totally bro you out i'm just using that as an example if you were the drywall contractor we'll talk afterwards but um you know just whatever hey i'll do you know the paving or whatever it is i'll totally bro you out man so i'm excited and i go to our construction manager and i'm like oh hey you know they they said they they totally bro us out he starts laughing he's been in the business 50 years he says uh i'll tell you what have him submit a bid and I'm uh, oh, no, no. He said he'd throw us out, man. He's like, tell him to prove it. 
Have them submit a bid. We're going to go with a minimum of three bids for every trade, every every job we need done, and uh, and just let's just see where he, let him put his money where his mouth is, you know, and let him put it in writing. So I go back to the guy. I go, you know, I, I met with a construction manager. We've decided that we just want all the bids to be in writing. And the guy starts copping an attitude with me. He's angry with me. He's like, oh, what are you talking? I was just going to take care of you, man. I'm like, I know, but you know, we we got to do it this way. We got to take bids. Well, you know, I I. I, don't, I didn't want to get all formal and everything about it. I'm like, hey, hey, look, it's no big deal. If you're going to bro us out, you can put it in writing, man. Just, you know, just write it out. So finally, the guy reluctantly agrees because I'm like, well, do, either you tell me that you're going to bro me out and you tell me the truth or you're not. Oh, okay. So he submits his bid. Don't you know out of three bids, he's the highest bid by thousands and thousands of dollars. And I go back to him. I'm like, Dude, this is broing us out. How are you going to bro me out? You going to take me for a ride on the new boat you were going to buy from all the money you made off? Is that how you going to bro me out? And and I'll just tell you, it, you know, thirty five thousand square foot job, millions of dollars project. Only two contractors who said they were going to bro us out actually did what they said they were going to do. Now, I, you know, again, my whole idea is look, just. Don't be lazy and just be honest and give an honest day's work. You know, there's nothing worse than the Christian businessman who says, oh, hey, you know, Jesus and everything. And then he's, he's ripping everybody off and every, he's the laughing stock. All of his non-believing friends say, oh, he's a Christian businessman? Really? That's what Christians are all about? That's why I'll never be a Christian. That guy's a crook. I've actually had people tell me, I won't go to your church because so-and-so goes to your church. Really? Yeah, I'm not going to go to your church. That guy's the biggest hypocrite in the world. Wow. Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 22, it says this. It says, bond servants obey in all things. Can anybody tell me what all means? All means all. That's all all means. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as uh, men pleasers, in other words, not when they can see you and watch you, not when you can't get away, oh, the boss is watching, got to look busy. No, but in sincerity of heart, he says, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. You just, you're serving Jesus. You got to remember as Christians, we serve Christ. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you'll receive the reward of inheritance for, your, for you serve the Lord Christ. Are you serving your wallet? Are you serving your objectives? Are you, are you serving Jesus? And if you're serving Jesus, then, then let your love be without hypocrisy in how you serve. If you're earning a paycheck, earn your paycheck. Be the best person on the job. If you're a businessman, be a, be a, be a businessman of honor and integrity. And let it be said of you, that's an honorable man. And I can respect him and I can respect the faith that, that, he, that he shares. Do me a favor, do us all a favor. If you're not willing to do that, then for the love of God, don't tell people you're a Christian. Seriously. I mean, if you're going to be the kind of person that rips people off and then, you know, names the name of Christ, can you just not name the name of Christ, please? Because what you're doing is you're being a bad witness, a bad testimony to those Christians who actually are going to love God without hypocrisy. And and, and if I hit some of you with that, I'm sorry. But I just ask you to listen to the voice of the Lord. I mean, you, you can dislike me all you want, but can you hear the voice of the Lord? And if that's you, wow, can you just say, wow, that's me. Lord, have mercy. Verse 25, he says, but he who does wrong 
will be repaid for what he has done. We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to give an account of our life. There is no partiality. No partiality with God. So back in Romans chapter 12, chapter 12, Paul's saying here, listen, don't lag in diligence. Don't be lazy. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Have the attitude that it's the Lord Jesus that I'm serving. Verse 12, he goes on, he says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. In other words, what he says in verse 12 is, listen, be glad, have an attitude of hope, exercise patience during times of tribulation, and be somebody who's characterized by praying for the trials and the circumstances that you encounter in your life. Here's what he's not saying. You've all met him, right? You ever met the Debbie Downer Christian? The the Eeyore kind of Christian? You know, life's one, I'm going through some troubles. I don't know how it's going to work out. Like, dude, how's your faith working out for you? Because from where I sit, you know, not so well. And again, same thing, you know, these kind of people, they, they're professing faith in a God who's, who's all loving and merciful and he's, he's our provider and he's our protector, but yet then their actions, they just don't show it. Here's, here's, listen to what Philippians says. I won't have you turn there for time's sake, but Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, says that as Christians were to do this, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Have you guys discovered we live in a fallen world? And there's some people that are profoundly lost. Do you know them? I mean, some of you work with them. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And because they're lost, the Lord says, you're supposed to shine as a light. You're supposed to be the example to this person of what a Christian is and what a Christian does. And there's just so many of us that basically, here's the testimony that we give to the world because we're a Debbie Downer or an Eeyore kind of person that's always, you know, oh, the sky is falling kind of thing. And basically what we do is we say, hey, world, here's my message of hope, but when everything hits the fan, don't look at me because I'm going to be freaking out. And people look at that and they go, hypocrite, where's your God? Because I don't see him in how you're living your life. Man, that's a a big deal. Listen to this, just a few scriptures to talk about the God that it is we say we love and we follow. Philippians 4.19 says that God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Hebrews 13.5 says that God himself has said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Uh, Psalm 46.1 says that God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Now, what I'm asking you to do, Christian, is to believe that. I'm asking you to tell the world, I have the hope that my God will provide. And things are looking bleak right now, and I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, but he promises that he'll supply all of my need. Notice he says needs. He doesn't say all of your wants. Okay, you might have to, you know, do without some of the things you want, but he promises that he'll provide all your needs. And so what I'm asking you as a Christian is don't be a hypocrite to the world around you because you're supposed to shine as a bright, shining example of somebody who actually practices what they preach. And so when you're going through trial or when you're going through hardship, can you be that example 
to the Lord or to, to, the, to the people that you trust in the Lord, that he is your God, and that what you say you actually believe and you have an intention of living out. If you're a Christian, you're called to act like it. That's the issue. Now, verse 13, he goes on. And we'll conclude here with verse 13 as I look at the clock, and this is the last of the actions. We're going we're gonna to run through this. But he says, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. In other words, here's what he's saying. He goes, listen, you need to help fellow believers when you see that they have a need. 1 John 3.17 says this, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way in James 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so here's the thing that we need to keep in mind is that we as believers, if we see our brother or sister in need and we turn a blind eye to them or we turn a deaf ear to their cries for help and we don't help them when we're in a position to help them, then we're being hypocrites. Because we're the exact same people who will cry out to God and will say, God, help me. God, provide for my family. God, please give me this. I I need this house. I need this job. I I really want this car. Whatever it is, we cry out. We have no problems asking God for that. But if if we're going to be that kind of of a Christian, then we have to be the kind of a Christian that is willing, when we see our brother and sister in need, to respond and actually come alongside them and help them. And notice there when he says, he says, uh, uh, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That phrase, given to hospitality, literally, it means to love strangers. And so what that means is that when you become aware of somebody's need, they don't have to be your best friend. You know, it, it's, we're not talking about, oh, this is, this is my actual family member. We're talking about, hey, I heard about this believer who's having trouble, and I'm in a position where I might be able to help them, and just being willing to help them. I'll I'll close it this way. As I read through the book of Acts in chapter 2, actually Acts 2.45, it tells us there that as God started the church, the birth of the church, outlined there in the, the beginning of Acts, it says that all the believers were together and they had all things in common and that they sold their goods and possessions as anyone had need. And from where I sit, what I see happening is God's taken a sort of full circle, and I believe that we are living in the last days. And what I see is that in coming full circle, we're back to the place where believers are struggling like they've never struggled before. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we're in a bad economy right now. I, I went to a prophecy conference last week, and a guy by the name of Jim Rickards was was sharing. He's an economist, uh, and uh, he had some pretty scary things to say. Basically, he was sharing that he doesn't believe our, con- our economy is ever going to recover. He's predicting the collapse of the dollar and a radical change in our standard of living. And the way he articulates it, he proves his, his case really effectively with eighth grade math. He says, look, I'm not, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a, I'm not a socialist, I'm not a liberal, I'm not, a, I'm not any of those things. 
I'm just a guy who knows how to do a calculator, and I know eighth grade math. And as I look at everything and, and our debt, we can never repay it, and it's only going to get worse. And I left the, 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 the conference kind of depressed, to be honest with you. And, I, and I'm looking at this, and, and here's the deal. Whether you believe this guy or not, I happen to, but whether you believe him or not doesn't matter. Here's what you guys know. You know that our economy's bad and that it's getting worse, and you know that the unemployment rate is going up. I mean, our, our unemployment rate, just, just so you know, in the last three years, it's doubled. Okay, we're the real unemployment rate, not the the facts, the the ones that the the government puts out, because those are just based on unemployment claims. There's a lot of people who don't qualify for unemployment claims. So the the number that they quote is not a real number. The real unemployment number is somewhere above 15 percent. Put that in perspective for you in the Great Depression at the worst day, it was 25 percent. And we've doubled in just three years to get to 15 percent. So things aren't good. And, and you know that things aren't good. You know people who are unemployed. I mean, we got members of our church that have been unemployed for over a year. My point is simply this, and I, and I don't, you know, I'm not sky is falling or anything like that. I'm just saying this, that, the, that we ought to be different than the world. Because I think a day is coming when, when we're going to have to help one another out, guys. I mean, serious, like, thinking outside the box kind of stuff. And if we're a bunch of hypocrites, then it's going to be every man for himself. And we're not going to be the witness that the world needs to see in those dark times. I close with this quote. I stole it off of my uh, daughter's Facebook page, and I love it, and, uh, and it fits. Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. We're going to close by worshiping the Lord and partaking of communion. We're going to sing to the Lord. My exhortation to you, to me, so we'd be real with one another. We don't want to be a church where we're filled with a bunch of hypocrites, do we? Let's be real with one another. And as we worship the Lord today, let's be real with Him too. Let's just be those people that are, are endeavoring not to be a hypocrite, not pretend to be something that we're not. Just come to God honestly. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the word confess literally means to agree with God. We just call, what, call sin what God calls sin. It's not that we paint over it, whitewash it. We're just candid, straightforward with God. So let's be those kind of Christians. Amen.